Hello, hello, and a very warm welcome to the Steps to Investing podcast, your home for stock market news and ideas to help you beat low interest rates and high inflation by getting you investing in the stock market for a better return. I'm Marcus De Silva. And a very warm welcome to episode 10 of season four. I hope you are all very well. We've got a really good interview for you today. It's with a trader and a trainer of traders. His name is Ross Maxwell, and he's going to be taking us through exactly what it is, how it kind of differs from longer term investing, and also some of the nuances, the different ways you can sort of uh, trade the markets and some of the misconceptions even. And he's going to give us his thoughts on markets at the moment too. So really interesting interview there. We've also in the pod got plenty of other stuff. We're going to take a look at where investors have been putting their money in April in the UK. We're also going to have a look at, at the, the Bank of England's recent interest rate hike and how that affects things like your credit cards and your mortgages, uh, stuff like that. We're also going to have a look at the markets. I hate to say, but they're very dreary at the moment. So we're going to see what's been driving that very negative sentiment. And then we're going to have a look at three companies stories for you as well. Don't forget, of course, please subscribe if you haven't already and share the pod with any and everyone. Okay, let's get into it. I'm going to start with where investors have been putting their money. So we've got our friends at Coolstone. This is a data aggregator that looks at where UK investors uh, invest their money in different funds. So they're looking at something called fund flows. And, um, you know, over the month of April, just to see what the kind of sentiment is amongst investors. And as you can kind of imagine, it's a little bit negative. I think there was a bit of a surprise in this, though. So in particular, UK focused funds, so the funds that are investing in shares across across all sorts of companies, actually, small, medium and larger sized companies have been absolutely hammered a record 836 million pounds of money net money was had left those those types of strategies which means when you look all the way back to 2015 there's been no net new money in UK focused funds since then so you know and and you know there was reasons for that you know over the years there has been reasons for that uh, the brexit uncertainty created a bit of negative sentiment about around UK funds uh, we then, of course, had COVID. But really now, given that, you know, the markets are concentrated on companies that, that should really be doing better in the current environment, I think it's surprised people a little bit to see just how negative the sentiment is on uh, on UK focus funds. And I think the big problem has actually been in the Chancellor's response to inflation. The measures have generally been seen as too weak and too narrow really to help anyone in any big way. So when you take that and the squeeze that that's having on UK households and their ability to spend on top of the fact then that because of higher inflation and interest rate rises it may tip the economy into a recession, which of course creates a lot of uncertainties. And that tax rises have also come through in the new tax year. It's just all very negative on on 
the consumer's appetite and ability to spend in the economy. So this is why they think there's been such a sort of big outflow um, from from UK focused funds. And it also explains why that selling, I mean, I did say across the board, but really it's been concentrated in the smaller and mid-sized businesses. And it, you know, so so that that sort of explanation makes sense given that because smaller and mid-sized businesses tend to be more exposed to an economic downturn as well and they're more domestically focused. So that's not great. There's also been some selling in a lot of North American and technology funds. The two are kind of linked. There's a lot of technology businesses in North American markets. And, you know, and that those parts of the market, those what they call higher growth parts of the market, have been particularly affected because of the rising rate environment and the, f- the fact that that affects investors' calculation of how valuable those those companies are. So that makes sense there. And Europe. Europe has also not been not been great. And, and that's obviously to do with the uncertainties created by the terrible war in Ukraine. Where has been popular? Well, funds that focus on income from shares, really. So as those higher growth kind of companies have been less popular, where has been more popular has been companies that have more reasonable valuations. So when you look at their share prices relative to other things like assets and things like that in the business, companies that are reasonably valued tend to be a bit more favoured in this environment. They seem to be a a bit less exposed to to big falls in the market. Um, But also uh, companies that are sort of higher quality cash generative businesses as well, which is where income strategies tend to to, to be focused and those are, are, are generally uh, being seen as being a bit more popular in this in this kind of rising rate uh, environment and, and one where you know economies are potentially threatened by recession. Also being quite popular ESG strategies as well which are um, you know ha- now having spent a few years in the mainstream really beginning to present themselves as quite quite resilient really to flows when there's been sort of changes swings in sentiment in the market so um yeah interesting stuff there and um yeah just a bit sort of disappointing again i think for 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 the uk focused funds all right let's get on to the cost of living crisis and inflation and sort of how the central bank the bank of england is dealing with this and and we heard from them last week uh obviously a bit concerned uh they've raised the base rate another quarter point to one percent which is the highest since 2009 when we're in the midst of the global financial crisis. Uh, They've also said that inflation is going to hit 10%, double digits, and that's the highest since 1982, before I was born, so that's not great. Seems like they're accepting that, that they may just have to tip the economy into a recession. They've got to deal with inflation. So, you know, rates could go could go higher. So we wanted to have a little look at how that might impact people. We had a look at mortgages, credit cards and savings. And I think for mortgages, the banks won't waste any time there, really. They will pass on rises quite quickly. Indeed, Halifax had a bit of a faux pas. They announced their rise before the bank's decision had even made its way to the newswires. So a bit embarrassing there. But basically, if you're on a standard variable rate mortgage or you're one of the 850,000 people on a tracker, your costs are going to rise. And to give you an idea, if you are on a £300,000 mortgage over 25 years and it's a repayment mortgage, then you will see payments shoot up by about £40 a month. 
Quite a few mortgage holders, though, are on fixed rate, which is great. It withstands those rises for a while, but still one and a half million people will see those expire this year. So, uh, you know, if you're on a tracker, you kind of it gradually goes up. If you're suddenly having to, to sort of, um, you know, get a new fixed term, then you, you might experience a hefty jump. So that's something to be considered, I think. Um, one thing you might look at is if, if generally if you're if you tend to be fewer than six months away from expiry, you can remortgage at that point and therefore then lock in a better rate. Well, potentially a better rate today, given how how rates are sort of rising and the fact that they, you know, we may see sharper, quicker rises. Who knows what will happen? But, you know, if inflation you know continues its march, then the central banks will have to be more aggressive. Credit cards. Now, these can seem a bit more uh, detached from what's going on with the base rate, given that base rate is 1%. The average credit card rate is, I think, around 18%. Um, nonetheless, uh, banks are banks. So uh, what they would say is any of that difference in those in those is, is the cost of doing business. Fair enough. Um, but also any, any rate rises will be passed on pretty quickly too. Um, and I would expect that as well. Um, so, you know, it needs considering lots of us are using credit cards. Apparently 800 million was loaded onto, onto plastic in, in March alone. So quite a lot of us are using them. And actually more worryingly, the Money Advice Trust found that one in four of us were using cards for essential bills as well. So people are really struggling in this, in this cost of living crisis. And, um, yeah, so I think, I think, you know, it needs to be considered when you're, you're thinking about those rates on expensive credit cards. If you're looking for better deals, Money Saving Expert has a credit card eligibility tool that won't do a full credit check as well. So it might be a good thing to, to look out there. Savings, uh, well, you know, you would have thought savers would be, you know, sort of pleased in this environment. But uh, banks are slow in this area um, to to pass on uh, any of those increases. So, uh, you know, they're enjoying a little bit of juicier profits from these what they call the net interest margins that that they receive from from um uh, rates and and what they offer um so you know they've been a bit slow to pass these on but we are we are beginning to see that sort of coming through um the other the other reason actually is is there are a lot of lockdown savers which means we've we've given so much cash to banks they don't need to fall over each other to sort of attract deposits which is part of the reason why they're not being overly competitive and we're only just sort of seeing some of those coming through. I mean, all of this to me screams out, you should be investing any of that spare cash. But, you know, we'll continue to bang that drum, I think. Um, suggestion here might be that, you know, some of the newbies, what they call the challenger banks, Metro Bank's a good example there, Starling's another one, they are trying to sort of grow their books and, and get lots of customers on board. So having a look at some of those might be good you we might begin to see actually a bit of a a bit of a divergence between some of those rates that are offered so you know some there's some one-year fixed rate accounts that are that are around two percent so you know better much better than it was money fax is quite good i think when you're looking for for decent rates across the market so go and check them out okay markets and yeah it's not great time in markets at the moment i've got to be honest um so the broader view, the global view really across markets is that is this picture of rapidly rising inflation, which is meaning that central banks are going, we need to tackle this. So we're going to start 
slamming those interest rates higher, which then poses a risk to economies. It, it basically puts the brakes on growth and, and has the potential, a fairly large potential, to tip them into a recession. So that's the general order of, of where things are at the moment. Um, it's creating a lot of worry. It's creating you know, um, negative sentiment in areas of the market that are sensitive to rate rises, which is why technology having sort of risen a bit from its it, from its uh, the doldrums has sort of wandered back into its slump again which is not great uh, and you can see evidence for this if we look at the tech heavy nasdaq index in the us its peak was on the 19th of november last year at just over 16,000 points today just six months later it sits at around 12,300 points so not great similar story for hong kong's hang seng tech index 2 down more than 30 percent this year there's also other growth sensitive assets as well that have been falling too good example would be the australian new zealand dollars geopolitics is also adding to some of the concerns of course the ukrainian war is raging on and putin shows no sign yet of backing down threatening security across the European bloc and, of course, the supply of energy and, and, and other commodities as well. It looks like the situation is only going to become more tense, unfortunately. Finland and Sweden seem weeks away from a formal application to NATO, uh, the Defence Alliance, and if they join, it would double the NATO border with Russia, which is which is clearly going to incense Putin, given that his one of his strategic aims for invading Ukraine was to prevent more of NATO on his border. So it, it's obviously had an opposite effect. Um, there's also, so there's that, which is unpleasant. And then, and then of course, there's the, in China, there's quite a lot of lengthy lockdowns, which are continuing. Namira, which is a big Japanese bank, they estimated that 41 cities in China under lockdown at the moment. That represents around 30% of its GDP. And what this does, given it's it's a big sort of manufacturing hub for much of the world, is it's needling the supply chain issues that we've been having a little bit, this sort of the sleepy supply chains out of the back of COVID. Um, and, and that's adding cost pressures and, and stoking inflation further. So this is why we're seeing this kind of punchy inflation. It's kind of coming at us from a few different ways and it's all to do with the cost the cost push kind of inflation coming through there um so on to the uk specifically we mentioned that we heard from the bank of england that inflation could hit 10 percent particularly due to energy prices and that the economy will likely slide into recession this year um so and we, we did see a bit of that actually we we, we saw that in was it in March that um, the economy had contracted 0.1% as well? So for it to be a recession, you need two consecutive quarters of contraction. So you know we'll see how that sort of plays out. Really, the governor Andrew Bailey said he appreciated this is not going to help. You know, rising raising rates is not going to help household incomes. He appreciates the cost of living crisis, but they've got to control inflation before it, it kind of gets out of control. You know, that's the real fear is that this sort of spirals, spirals away from them. So, but what they will do is they've got this, you know, uh, following the big money printing programs, which basically bought loads of government bonds, 875 billion pounds worth of government bonds are held at the Bank of England. UK government bonds are held at the Bank of England. So um, it is 
it, what they're not going to do is start selling those because if they start selling lots of those it could have this sort of big effect effect on the on the bond markets which are also not doing so great uh you'll see prices drop basically which means yields would rise because they kind of move in opposite directions and therefore the lending costs you know of businesses who want to um, raise capital through through issuing bonds would suddenly rise so that's going to further sort of um, add to the economic pain um so that was yeah not great there <laughs> and then we've seen some turmoil in cryptocurrencies i think that's been quite interesting terra usd has been plunging this week it's what they call a stable coin so these are pegged to the value of more traditional assets in this case the us dollar i think it is so that's not great ether is down 20 percent since yesterday bitcoin is down 20 percent over the past five days so just sort of a bit rubbish, really. And the reason is inflation, interest rates, and the end of sort of this era of cheap money is, and, and also tech being, being pretty unpopular, all sort of reasons that are dragging down uh, cryptos here. Uh, it also pours pretty ice-cold water on the idea that cryptos could be this form of digital gold. So gold has traditionally been seen as an asset that's quite good in an inflationary environment and they kind of what people were thinking was well cryptos are kind of going to be this digital version of it and definitely not the case the only way in which we know whether an asset is good for these things is through history really and, and what they historically tend to do um and and this is this is not going to be great for, for for that kind of proof um there's also been a lot of worries i think for cryptos around regulation we saw china stop bitcoin trading and mining we saw UK banks uh, block access to exchanges and the regulator here blacklist the biggest crypto exchange, Binance. The IMF waded into the argument as well and said that, you know, it, it could create lots of, of instability in economies if they're overly using or relying on cryptos. Uh, even Trump came out and said they're a scam. So there's all sorts of things that have been just a bit more negative, which is why cryptos have not been graced particularly, particularly this year. All in all, over the fortnight, the S&P 500 is down 8.22%. The FTSE 100 is down 4.65%. The Nikkei 225, that's over in Japan, is down 4.09%. And the Stock 600 Europe's index is down 6.42%. All right, let's get on to some company stories before we have our interview with Ross. And I'm going to start with Hargreaves. Lansdowne, you may know it. It is the UK's premier online stockbroker. Uh, it's pretty massive now. It had a very good year last year. Uh, but of course, the environment now is creating a bit of a, a waning of enthusiasm really amongst self-directed retail investors such as ourselves. The platform has seen a two-thirds drop in new customer signups in comparison to where it was a year ago. I mean, a year ago, things for brokers were good okay people were in lockdowns had more time some people had a lot more savings and wanted to do more with their finances they could see the markets were were rising as as uh, it seemed like there was a way out from covid and and there were lots of these sort of get rich quick ideas as well i don't remember the meme stock kind of trading boom around um you know GameStop etc uh it was all very exciting all of this was a boon for for the brokers and um 
you know, uh, it that things are different now. We're, we're in the middle of a cost of living crisis. People need their cash to spend today. They're obviously thinking about their near term rather than the long term. Um, you know, the cost of living crisis has affected more than half, you know, particularly squeezing more than half of UK ho- households. It's affecting even more than that. So I think it's sort of understandable as to why not so many people are, are so focused on long-term investing and indeed in Q1 of this year, Q- quarter one tends to be quite good prior to the tax year end. It's quite a good time to go out with marketing messages around, you know, use your ISA allowance up, get investing, open an account. Come on, guys. This time wasn't so good. And uh, and and I think, you know, we saw that as well. There was definitely a, a lot less uh, sort of activity uh, this quarter than, it, than, it, than there had been the previous quarter. Still, it's got 1.7 million clients. So it is by far the biggest online stockbroker in the UK. So it's not not all bad. Next up, Saudi Aramco. So this is the oil company that sort of ma- ma- mainly state owned but now is is sort of a public company too um, of Saudi Arabia um, and it has obviously vast assets uh, sitting underneath the, the soil there and uh, it's overtaken Apple to become the world's most valuable company so they've sort of had diverging fortunes really it's hit a, a record uh, total value of around uh, of around one point sorry two point four three trillion dollars. So it's overtaken the tech giant at two point three seven trillion. And you know the diverging fortunes come from the fact that we've seen oil prices rising and the tech sector massively falling. Really, so they've gone in opposite directions. And Apple has lost its top spot early in this year. Apple became the first ever company to reach a valuation of three trillion. But, uh, you know, with concerns around inflation, Fed tightening and all that kind of stuff and the sell off in tech, the iPhone maker has been dragged down and slumped 5% yesterday, shedding nearly 20% off its March high. Although the Fed's tightening path does, you know, post a risk to more debt dependent kind of stocks in the tech sector, it's kind of unfairly punished a lot of the bigger stores. And I think that's what's quite interesting about the moves in tech, really. When you look at companies like Apple and Microsoft, these are solid, mega-sized businesses that are very entrenched, very cash-generative. You know, they are they are not, you know, high, highly-valued sort of tech kind of companies that are sort of emerging and trying all sorts of new things. You know, the whole industry has, has um, matured. So... It's it's it does seem you know like they are they are sort of getting punished in a way that um, you know that maybe is a bit unfair. So you know, at, at some point does this does this present as a good contrarian trade really? You know, and because once inflation passes its peak, and we start to see economic growth looking a little bit better, these sorts of stock could look stocks could look really attractive. You know, attractively valued and and have the potential really to to outperform as the as the tech sector kind of gets through this this latest trough really so uh yeah interesting interesting stuff there final story i just thought it was a couple of ride ride sharing companies really uber and lyft seem to be having a tough time recently both both of their share prices have pretty much halved over the past month um and we saw some earnings uber did better than than lyft but what we're seeing is sort of like inflation and in, in worker pay is eating into profits it's also it's also finding a, a shortage of drivers in particular as well some of them 
during because of covid and and the lack of work sort of completely moved out of the sector so they're kind of having problems trying to recruit uber is doing better because of uber eats and of course that food delivery business did pretty well during during uh, the pandemic um and is actually now as big as what they call their mobility divisions of so just some of the traditional kind of uber um uber uh, business but you know so that but that does put it in a bit of a better position than Lyft, who have had to just try and, and get drivers again and in order to try and lure them in, they've had to sort of offer offer higher rates than they, they would probably like to. And just a couple of final stories there. Okay, let's move on to our interview with Ross. Now, as you've heard earlier in the podcast, there's been a lot of turmoil in the markets recently. The economy is definitely suffering under the effects of inflation and central bank moves to try and bring that under control. But... Volatility is not necessarily a bad thing in the markets when you're wishing to trade around some of these shorter term market moves. So understand a little bit more about this, about trading and also what's going on in markets at the moment and some of maybe the trading responses to those those moves in the market at the moment. We've got a very experienced trader and a founder of a trading training company on the podcast today from Keyzone Traders. His name is Ross Maxwell. Ross, welcome. Hi, thanks for having me, Marcus. All right, Ross, let's start with you a little bit. How did you get involved in trading? Um, so basically straight from school, um, I moved into financial markets. I always had uh, a desire to, to trade the financial markets from a young age. So from school, I um, moved into financial markets in 2001, uh, worked through the front office, uh, into the front office, and got my first opportunity into trading, um, which was actually with South African uh, futures and options some trading South African derivatives um, that also then led to exposure uh, in trading sort of FX equities and CFDs but my main focus always remained with um, South African equity derivatives so um, yeah from a very young age I really wanted to get into the financial markets and that's that led me into the city of London um, and that's where I very first started. Cool I mean what is it what is it like on a on a trading floor? I mean, to sort of describe the experience and maybe what happens when you, you know, what time you arrive at work and what you sort of do over the day. Yeah, so um, obviously it's quite well documented, like you have to be up early. Um, I probably just about missed all of the, you know, the, uh, the trading floors where you see in the movies where it's all the hand signals and people rushing around the pits and stuff like that. I was... Uh, slightly more sophisticated technology had taken over by the time I sort of entered the trading world. So um, you've got the the multiple phones. It's very busy. It's very bustling. You've got a lot of big characters on the desks. And there is sort of like it is quite boisterous, um, especially when there are those sorts of um, big movements and, and big news events in the markets. But, you know, um, you can feed off that, you can feed off that energy um, and it's really uh, quite empowering as well when you're, when you're in that environment. Um, it's obviously quite active and can be quite hectic, but equally there are times when the markets are quiet and it, it, it can be quite low key. But um, there's always a lot of energy around. Um, I mean, I spent, I spent time in London and I also uh, spent some time in Hong Kong as well, uh, trading there and, and the experience was, was very similar. Um, in, in both places mm. I mean I imagine it's quite exciting because you're very plugged in to what whatever is going on really around the globe would you say that's quite a good good description of it 
Yeah, I think I think it's it is exciting. Um, I think that's one thing that working in the city was different to sort of trading as an individual. Working in the in the city, like you can feed off that energy, you can feed off that emotion. Um, but when you're actually having to make decisions in the market, you sort of need to leave that emotion aside, um, or certainly work out a way to not allow that emotion to hijack the decision making process. So that's, that, that becomes really even more important when you're actually actively trading. Okay, so you obviously had that 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 role. You were trading. You were in Hong Kong. What what then inspired this this move to doing it for yourself, and then eventually into into training people how to trade? Um, so yeah, when I I moved back from Hong Kong, sort of uh, two thousand and thirteen, and I quite uh, quickly become a bit disillusioned with life in the city. I wanted sort of more from my job. Um, I did have some sort of anxiety issues, as again, a lot of people do in the, in that sort of high paced environment. Um, and I just felt I needed to change a little bit. So um, I still had a deep passion for trading, but I wanted to try and take something uh, with a little bit more responsibility, a little bit more flexibility in my life and uh, um, away from that sort of high paced environment. I, it's obviously also quite well known that in that environment due to the pressures, due to getting up early in the morning, working late at night um, and all the pressures that come with it, you can you can experience burnout. And I was young enough that I wanted to make that change. So um, I decided to leave the city, but as I said, I, I still had that sort of deep passion for trading. So I, I, I embarked on a journey to, to become a, a professional trader in my own right. So despite having more than a decade of experience trading the markets at that point, I still had to go through a period of re-education um, for teaching myself how to trade my own funds as opposed to trading for another firm. So that sort of led me into education as well. So after a few years, after I established myself as a, as a professional trader and, and, and regularly making income, it led me into education where I was consulting for another trading education firm. Um, I sort of acted as a, a coach and mentor for their clients. It was something that I was very passionate about, sort of passing that knowledge on, passing on my experience uh, as well. So after a few years with them, I wanted to put my own stamp on education. I had my own ideas. I wanted to get my own message out there. As I say, I really enjoyed working with traders and helping them um, achieve their goals and passing on my experience and working out what different issues different types of traders had um, and that's sort of where key zone traders came about so i know the struggles that traders go through um, i feel there is a real lack of quality education out there um, a lot of the education out there focuses on the wrong approach teaching people strategy and telling them about the lavish lifestyles and stuff that they could have when the reality is different so that doesn't mean um, it can't have a very positive impact on your life, but it needs to be done responsibly, which is why at Keyzone Traders, we, we teach our students the processes, um, risk control and mindset before we teach them strategy. And I think that's that's really the message that I wanted to get out there from Keyzone Traders. So, um, yeah, from, from trying to take a bit of responsibility and more freedom in my life um, and that passion to pass that knowledge on, uh, was how Keyzone Traders came about. All right, Ross, that's interesting stuff. Let's get on to trading itself. And first of all, I just wanted to sort of draw a line, a bit of a definition, really, between trading and investing. How would you describe the differences between those two things? 
Sure. So I think, I mean, the subtle, the differences are very subtle, but in a word in its most simple term, I would probably have to say risk or, or even more simply like risk to reward. Um, when you are involved, uh, investing, it involves risk um, and it involves the potential to lose money. Um, but if done properly, it has the chance, obviously, to make you money. Now, when you are trading, you have to take on more risk. Um, but obviously, the potential to 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 make uh, money increases as well, or make higher returns increase as well. Um, you have to. But one of the biggest differences, though, between trading and investing is you need to remain more dynamic and flexible in your approach um, and your decision making between um, when you're trading over investing, and you're much more active in the decisions that you have to make. So you are required to make more decisions when you're trading. Now, ultimately, as I say, everything boils down to risk, your risk appetite, the stage in the life you're at and your personal circumstances as to which one is right for you. Um, but I would think probably the, the one bit of advice I would give around that is probably you have to educate yourself properly, especially when you're having to make more decisions because obviously the more decisions you're making, it opens yourself up to more mistakes. So you really have to be um, educated properly to be able to make those uh, informed decisions, even in high pressure environments as well. Okay, so it you would you would say that it's a riskier endeavour than longer term investing, um, and it requires a bit of flexibility around the approach because there are a number of ways of trading these kind of instruments in the markets in a short-term kind of fashion. Is, is that how would you describe it? Yeah, 100%. So, uh, yeah, you have to, you have to, um, it, it certainly is a riskier um, endeavour than investing. You're, you're trading much more actively, therefore you're putting risk on the table um, more frequently. Um, you're, you're st- you're, you're, you will take more losses than if you're investing. Um, and obviously, with investing, you take a longer term approach. So you can, if you, if you if you invest properly, you can sit through periods of volatility. Whereas if you're trading and you don't do it, and you're not educated properly, that volatility can take you in and out, in and out of the markets, chop you in and out, and and really do damage to to your account and your risk if you don't have those proper risk controls in place. Okay, let's just let's try and imagine then trading in its kind of application. Um, there's a few different kind of definitions, terms, according to how you might trade. So you hear terms like a scalp trader or a day trader. Mm-hmm. What do we mean by these kind of different approaches generally? So really, it's just um, the frequency of trading and the style of trading. So scalpers, for example, want to take advantage of very, very short small movements in the market so they're going to be in and out of the market like several times a day um day traders will be trading i mean sometimes they they will be trading a few times a day personally even in my day trading strategies i'm very patient which is something that a skill set that i've built up and i don't necessarily trade every day but you're I, i never hold a position overnight so every day when i sit down at my computer screens i come in with like a fresh clean clean mind and a fresh perspective on the market you then have your um, swing traders who are looking to hold positions for a longer period of time. It's depending on, on, on the style of swing trading, this is probably the closest type of trading to investing. 
um, where you're looking for longer term movements in the market. However, swing trading can also just be held over several, like one position can be held over several days. Whereas obviously with investing, you're looking at holding um, positions for months, if not years before, before liquidating that position. Okay. So it's really just talk, talking about the frequency of trading, how long you're in the markets for, for each position as well. Okay, right. Okay. So there are different approaches depending on the the, yeah, the sort of the volume of trades that you sort of want to put through and, and how long you kind of want to hold those trades for. That's kind of how we kind of view those those kind of different approaches. Yeah. And, and I think also one, one point to note on, on those mm. different styles of trading as well is like each um, a person will be um, more accustomed or more inclined to trade different styles of trading um, depending on their personality. Like just because um, scalping may not suit your personality may mean that like a more sort of swing-based trading system would, would, would be more suitable. And likewise, some people don't like holding positions for several days. They like to be in and out of the markets very quick. So a, a scalping or day trading strategy would, would be more suitable to them as an individual. Okay. Okay. Interesting. Right. So there's there's the sort of different ways in which we can approach approach it. You know, as a as a retail investor, a retail trader, sorry, learning about this, is it difficult to make money? Um, it's a bit of a tricky one to uh, answer, and and I can probably sort of contradict myself in a little bit in what I say. So I would sit there and say, once you have the right skills, trading can and should be pretty straightforward. However, the journey to acquiring those skills is not necessarily as easy as a lot of the social media influencers will have you believe. So you have to um, educate yourself properly and you have to set yourself realistic expectations. As with anything in, in, in life, anything that we learn, um, we need to educate properly. We need to build skills um, to be able to enter a marketplace which is full of professionals and and make money it doesn't it doesn't mean to say that it's um impossible to do so but you just have to do it in an appropriate um in appropriate way um going into a marketplace full of career professionals um and institutions that have spent billions of pounds so um to, to create an edge in the market so it it's it would be naive to think that you can just walk in and, and do it very simply but if you educate yourself properly um then and you build the skill sets in a responsible manner then trading can actually become fairly straightforward as long as once you have your trade plan sort of uh, in place you just need to execute that plan okay so as a retail trader it is possible to do this stuff uh but you do need to you know um be very realistic about the fact that there is qu there's a fair bit of education involved this is the you know you're you're up against career professionals who are doing this day in day out at enormous banks with a lot of resources so it's not something to be taken lightly but it is possible to learn it learn the trade and it is possible to to make money out of strategies doing this Yes, exactly. I mean, I mean, if you think about it, these career professionals that go into banks, they, they don't literally walk onto their trading desk and start trading the bank's funds straight away. They have a period of education as well to, to, to be given those funds. So um, when you're trading as a retail trader, um, it should be no different. And I mean, it, it's like any profession that you, you go into in life. It, it will require a, a period of education. Um, and, and trading really is no different. It needs to be done responsibly. And, and also, you know, going back to those expectations of what can be achieved as well, like everyone will have different expectations and different goals. Some, some may just want like a side passive income to, to supplement a pension or to 
you know, um, release the burden of the, the increasing living standards. Others may want to take it as a full-time income, but from where you're starting to where you want to get to, that journey is going to look very different for everyone else. So it's important to realise as well that these sort of lavish lifestyles that a lot of people sort of profess on, on social media um, is not necessarily going to be achievable in a short period of time. It's not a get rich. This is not a get rich quick scheme. There's a high amount of risk involved and you need to approach it responsibly. Um, so I think I think that's important as well um, to make sure that you educate yourself properly, just just like these other professionals do that are a part of the marketplace because those are the people that you're competing against. All right, well, let's get on to markets a little bit. I'm always interested to hear um, professionals' views on these things. Um, there's a lot of volatility at the moment. Why is this? Yeah, so, I mean, I think it's there's, there's many reasons for the increased volatility. And you, you were right when you said earlier on, the volatility can sort of... Uh, increase opportunities if you know that if you if you know the right way to to approach the markets but i think obviously you've got a geopolitical event such as the war in ukraine which sort of uh, set set things off in sort of february march time um though that sort of settled itself down now but you still have the the, the after effects on oil and energy prices you've got the increase of living costs and and, and stand and, and and energy prices on the on the retailers uh, retail space as well You've also got the fact that we've just come through this COVID recovery and we spent a hell of a lot of money uh, keeping the economy going through that crisis. I mean, the S&P 500, the market, the, the, the stock markets are very extended. Um, the S&P 500 itself was up more than 100% from its COVID lows um, in March 2020 to, to its highs uh, more recently. You then obviously got other other issues like the the inflationary issues at the moment um so the interest rates that are going up which obviously increases um uh, the, the the cost of borrowing um and you've got years of quantitative easing which has all created all, all of this all together has created this uncertainty which um is leading to the volatility because there's that that uncertainty in the markets at the moment and um that in itself will lead to um people maybe not panicking as such but but being more wary of a recession or correction base which then leads them to take risk off the table which then can create that volatility okay and 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 how how does it feel when you're sort of you're there in the markets as a trader and you see these periods of uncertainty coming along and with it therefore Mm -hmm. asset price volatility does it feel like a, a an interesting time as a trader or is it quite a stressful one um, I think you have to have it, it, you have to have two different hats on because obviously from you, from a personal point of view, like um, you you recognise the cost of living standards and everything going up um, from a from a personal point of view. Like I've just had to remortgage my house and um, uh, my interest rates gone up and stuff like that. So I'm I'm feeling it from a personal level, but from a trading perspective, from when I sit down in the in the morning and I analyse the charts, it. I, I don't look uh, because I'm a technical trader. I don't necessarily look at what is causing the markets to move. I just have to appreciate that there are these things that are creating uncertainty in the markets that then translates into um, the technical side of the markets. And then, and then I read what that market is communicating to me to take advantage of those opportunities. So it's quite important to from the, the style of trading that I do, I'm, as I say, I'm a technical trader, I'm not a fundamental trader. So you have to be aware of the news, but 
maybe not let the 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 news impact your decision making you have to let the market communicate to you um what decisions you need to be making in that in that moment but obviously from a personal point of view i'm feeling it as much as everybody else yeah of course so ross i mean tell us what we mean by a technical trader versus a fundamental trader yeah so i mean a technical trader um as i say is what what i is, is my style of trading so I'm looking at support and resistance. I'm looking at the charts um, purely um, to, to communicate to me what I believe or what is what I believe is most probable uh, and most likely to happen next in the markets. And as I say, I'm a, I consider myself a day and short term swing trader. So I'm only looking to take um, sh- small positions on the market and, and generally be out of the uh, out of the market on an intraday basis. So if the market communicates to me that it's going down today, I can actually look at a market and it may communicate to me that it's going up tomorrow that and I can change my bias. Um, whereas uh, a, um, a fundamental trader needs to pay much more attention to the news that is going on and how that may affect the markets on a maybe a more longer term basis as well. So um, you need to be much more aware and of the longer term impact of some of these news events. Um, as well so the, the main difference really is technical is just reading um reading the charts uh, whereas a fundamental is, is basing their a lot of their decisions around the news events as well right okay so it, it, as a technical trader you might be looking at the patterns and the ways in which prices are changing as a predictor of where they may go next whereas a fundamental trader will be looking at, at, at the reasons why an asset should be priced higher or lower next type thing so you know if there's suddenly a change in interest rates then there's a reason why a particular asset might be worth more or less yes exactly and i think it's also important to realize obviously as a technical trader you still need to be aware of fundamental news events which are are taking place because ultimately they will impact your positions um but my my sort of theory and and my procedure is being aware of these news events maybe making sure that my positions or my 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 risk is managed around these events and then the reaction to those events will communicate to me what i believe the market's going to do next but yeah as you say a fundamental trader will sit there and say right okay um, interest rates are going up how will that affect um certain asset classes or certain instruments yeah so i suppose the advantage of being um a more technical trader is that you, you don't really need to have a deep knowledge of economics or anything like that actually it, it's about just learning the the trade and learning patterns and charts and things like that it, it's kind of separated a little bit from the economics is that right uh yeah certainly from the style of trading that i do that's that that would be correct and i think um this is where there's sometimes a misconception that you have to have this deep understanding of of economics, which can get quite uh, entangled in, in, in various different factors and how that may impact different asset classes and stuff like that. And also, like a lot of people believe that you need to be some sort of mathematical wizard to to, to become a trader, which again, is not necessarily true. Um, you, you do obviously still have to develop those analytical skills because you need to, to be able to, to read what the market is communicating to you and you need to be able to 
be able to change your opinion and remain flexible and dynamic in your approach on a daily basis. But once you develop those skills, yes, you don't you don't need to necessarily have that deep underlying um, uh, knowledge of the knock on effect of the of the those fundamental fundamental aspects of of the economy and the, and, and the news releases. Mm. Are there are there many many different patterns out there? I'm just sort of intrigued. Uh, in terms of strategies and stuff, I mean, there's there's many different approaches. You'll have people who um, just go off candlesticks, supporting resistance. There's um, more mechanical strategies. There's there, there are so many different types of patterns out there. Um, and I think again, it comes down to uh, education, whereby the market is saturated um, from a trading education space with all these different patterns, all these different um indicators and strategies and stuff and the general retail trader goes in search for this sort of holy grail type um pattern like this one pattern that just works all the time which it actually if you just focus it's, it's that whole um the old saying goes you know it's better to be the master of one than the jack of all trades and and, and trading should be the same in terms of if you just focus on a handful of, of patterns or a handful of strategies um, and, and really focus and become expert on them and, and, and improve your risk management techniques and, and knowledge of risk management strategies around those, um, those patterns. That's all you really need to become successful as a, as a trader. Right. Okay. So it's, it's about learning a, 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 maybe a, a section of strategies, but, but learning them in depth so that when they do come along and you recognize them, you can you know make sure that you protect your downside while still making a bit of money exactly that and and there's also sort of like a, again just to overcomplicate things there's the same pattern which comes under different names and different pseudonyms and stuff and everyone packages it up and um sort of says that it's their unique uh, unique um pattern but it, it really is just finding those again it comes a bit down to trade a profile find out what patterns work with you building those pattern recognition skills around those patterns and then developing them to to take advantage of them what what sort of markets what kind of assets are we talking about here in that you tend to trade um so me personally um i uh, look to trade or I, I trade um the major index markets so that would be like the FTSE and dax in europe and um the s p and the dow jones in america and then i trade sort of the, the highly liquid um fx and commodity um, instruments as well. So oil, gold, and then the major FX pairs. Um, just because... FX, we mean, by the way, foreign exchange. Yes, exactly, uh, foreign exchange. Currency, yeah. Yes, exa exactly that. So um, sort of euro, US dollar, sterling, the US dollar, those sorts of uh, those sorts of markets. Those are the most liquid. They offer um, the, the, the best opportunities for me um, and stuff. But I mean, trading can be done across all markets and all instruments. Um, you can trade individual shares, you can trade all types of exotic currencies, you can trade um, cryptocurrency, obviously is a big one that's really at the forefront at the moment. So you can really, you can trade any sort of asset class and any instrument. Me personally, I focus on those main ones. Just, uh, you know, just having a little look forward now, I'm kind of intrigued. How are markets changing? Because this seems like, you know, humans, humans involved in, in, basically the the buying and selling of stuff it seems like that is gradually getting slightly edged out by technology we're, we're seeing 
you know things like algorithms driving trading strategies and all sorts of high frequency trading um i'm just wondering how you imagine technology will change the markets and whether we'll still have traders in you know a decade or two decades or however long it is yeah sure so so obviously as i mentioned earlier on uh in in the discussion like i missed that sort of trading pit trading floor style of trading where there was lots of shouting and hand movements and stuff and we have gradually seen this um transition to uh, high frequency trading algo trading i mean it's been it's been around now for many years and it's and it's obviously still developing um so it's already had an impact on the markets and i'm sure it will, will, will have an impact on the markets but but as i also mentioned as a technical trader all i can do is really really just be aware of how that's being communicated to me in the markets and and, and how much that is impacting the markets so I have to remain redactable, um, and I'm I'm a believer that everything is communicated to us in the charts and through price action. So there's obviously some some differences that that created. So there's increased liquidity through the high frequency trading because they're they're in and out of the markets in in the like milliseconds. Um, you can also there, there will be some that argue that these high frequency trading and algorithmic trading make the make the market more efficient. Now, some people will argue that that makes trading easier and some will say it makes it harder as well. Personally, I believe if you can read the charts, you just have to remain adaptable and dynamic in terms of your, that decision making process again, and it will be communicated through the charts. But I mean, gone are the days when traders used to just turn up on around those big figure events like non-farm payrolls. Um, and they used to just take advantage of these big quick moves in the market because they, they could react very quickly to them. But the algos have taken that edge away from the humans because obviously the the algorithms will react much much faster than a human ever ever could so it takes that edge away from from that human interaction um we've also spoken about the 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 institutions that have invested billions of pounds to create this technology that gives them that edge in the market so again you're up against uh, against that sort of uh, animal and that beast um but I mean, on, on the flip side, you can, there are, there are some things that um, have an impact on the markets from, um, you, you can see these flash crashes, flash crashes where algos can pick up on sort of random news events or um, release, like the mark, move a market through a, um, a, a clear support resistance level, which, which triggers a lot of stops. And, when there's low liquidity in those areas can see these sort of flash crashes, which obviously then expose people to more risk. Um, so you've got to be aware that they're there. You've got to be aware of the impacts that they can have both from a positive and negative point of view, because you have to be able to manage your risk around, um, around how they're going to uh, have that impact. Okay, well, if you are looking to learn a little bit more about trading ross has his company keyzone traders i highly recommend you take a look at them and their website um, of course email me if you've got any questions you want me to pass them on to ross as well be more than happy to do that too but aside from that ross thanks very much for joining me on the pod yeah, thanks very much for having me it's been a pleasure okay that's all we've got time for today a big thanks to ross maxwell for joining me 
uh, and speaking to me about trading. Uh, also, thanks to you for listening. Please don't forget to subscribe and share the podcast. Uh, we definitely need your support. Um, and also, let me know if you are being affected by the cost of living crisis. I'm sort of, I, I would really like to hear from 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 people and, and how this is sort of affecting them. Um, so just write me. We've got uh, on the website. You'll notice there's lots of of platform reviews and all sorts of different bits and pieces as well. So please go and have a look around there. We've also got some contact forms. There's also my email address, Marcus at StepsToInvesting.com. Uh, aside from all of that, I hope you all keep well. I'll be back in a fortnight. Until then, goodbye. <laughs>